Josephina, I have sad news. Oh no, what is it now? Legend of Tennis, Joe Wilfred Sanga has officially retired. Are you serious? First Delpo, then Ash, then Conta? Forget COVID, retiring is the new pandemic. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Josefina and Shravya. Shravya and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Josefina and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the female Gen Z voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for, so we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. Hello everyone and welcome back. Quick turnaround um, because we kind of just came out with an episode but we sort of always feel like when we do an episode kind of after the second or even after the third round right after our preview so many interesting upsets and like beginning stage tournament things happen that we end up having to lump it all together um, because there's obviously so much action in the first few days so we kind of want to try out doing a round one recap also because the french open extends the first round across three days part of this is also motivated by our schedules um (laughs) so (laughs) there's that as well but i was actually sitting at school today um right before a meeting and i was sitting with one of my friends and i was working on our research document and she looks over and she points to the episode 97 on the top left of the uh page and she was like oh my gosh Travia you guys are almost at 100 episodes I was like I know she was like are you guys doing anything to celebrate and then I was like (laughs) well you see so Josephina and I have uh, to work on organizing a little dinner um for the two of us maybe we'll do something special on the 100th episode but I also don't want to put pressure on us yeah I feel like (laughs) because like what are we (laughs) Oh, oh, but we did hit 10k listens. <gasps> we did. That, that is, is true. It was what is it? 1 2 3 4 5 digits, guys. 5 digits. It's crazy to look at honestly cuz I always it's see It's awesome. It. It's very very cool. And And thank yeah. you guys for contributing to those listens. Yes, because <laughs> the two of us definitely could not have listened to our own podcast 10,000 times. Yes. Yes. Let's talk about some hot headlines that have come up in the past few days. Um, We're going to start off with the fact that the Wimbledon point drop is now official. It's actually funny. We were talking about it um, potentially happening in our last episode. And the day we we released the episode, it became official on May 20th. So the ATP said in its statement, the decision by Wimbledon to ban Russian and Belarusian players from competing in the UK this summer undermines the print, this principle, referring to uh, the ATP's sort of values of non-discrimination um, and the integrity of the ATP ranking system. Absent a change in circumstances, it is with re- great regret and reluctance that we see no option but to remove ATP ranking points from Wimbledon for 2022. Yeah, and then this wasn't part of that official statement, but they followed up on their um, Frequently Asked Questions page with another statement that said, 
kind of like a sequel that said our sport is built upon merit-based tournament entry and a level playing field for all players free from discrimination it was also important to avoid a setting of precedent of unilateral decision making by events our tour can only operate and thrive as a viable sport under shared principles of governance and um yeah there's so many different um like governing bodies in tennis that make decisions and it makes decision making like on key matters in the sport very confusing so for example here i think i was definitely surprised to hear that the hp and like wta were not consulted at all when it came to wimbledon's decisions to ban russian and belarusian players it was solely their i forgot all england tennis club what is it called all england lawn and tennis club yeah so and because of course we have the atp and wta um doing all the uh professional tour events and then we also have the itf under and then the grand slams are separate exactly which is very disjointed it's always been odd to me yes and we're going to talk about this in a bit, but Andre Rublev brought that up as well, about how we need to have unity in decision-making. And this was kind of just like, Wimbledon was like, okay, we have the power, we'll just, or the All the uh, all England Lawn Tennis Club. They were like, okay, we have the power to do this ban, we'll just do it. But then they don't have control of the points. Like, the ATP and the WTF control the ranking points, so it's like, what the heck? Yeah, just a lot at the same time, and... Definitely, I think, miscommunication on their part. Because imagine how odd it must have been for the ATP and WTA to find out that news from the news and not beforehand. Mm -hmm. Definitely odd. But um, we also noted in the last... the ATP also noted. Yeah, the ATP also noted that there was an alternative option that Russian and Belarusian uh, players seemed much more in favor of, which was... And this is a quote. We note that the UK government guidance was informal guidance, not a mandate, which offered an alternative option that would have left the decision in the hands of individual players competing as neutral athletes through a signed declaration. Our internal discussions with affected players, in fact, led us to conclude this would have been a more agreeable option for the tour. And again, we see that lack of a concrete tennis governing body where they're not really taking a pose or stance on the issue. So, again, so much miscommunication. And when it comes to huge things like these, this just can't... Like, there's no room for mistakes and errors here. Yeah, it's really hard to parse out what players were in favor of, what options were on the table, um, what communication there was between Wimbledon slash um, the LTA slash the All England Lawn Tennis Club, whatever... Um, and the uh, pro tours. Um, so it just seems like they sort of, what, one party decided to exert its power one way, and the tours just snapped back by being like, okay, you guys are now going to be an ex- exhibition event, basically. Um, the WTA kind of spoke similarly to their values of non-discrimination and how, A, not only do they believe that all players should be able to compete, um, but B, that... Uh, this is sort of the um, consequence that they have to impose. So they said, quote, nearly 50 years ago, the WTA was founded on the fundamental principle that all players have an equal opportunity to compete based on merit and without discrimination. The WTA believes that individual athletes participating in an individual sport should not be penalized or prevented from competing solely because of their nationalities 
or the decisions made by the governments of their countries. Very well put there. Um, kind of a point that we've tried to articulate uh, a few times on this podcast, even though it is a, again, complicated and layered issue. Now, what's interesting with the WTA is that not only did they ban points at Wimbledon, but they also did so at the lead-up events, the three WTA events that are like Eastbourne, Nottingham, and Burning, Birmingham. I think um, the ATP, in contrast, is only removing points for Wimbledon. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely a stronger stance, if anything. But, um, yeah, I really liked how they put their statement because it kind of considered all sides of the situation. Um, but, yeah, many people, of course, there's so many differing opinions on this subject considering it's such a complicated one. But uh, many people feel that this is a rightful indictment of what they see as a discriminatory ban on behalf of Wimbledon. And then others see this as defeating the purpose of the ban or not supporting Ukrainians. And also that it's just in general unfair for players who had good results at Wimbledon last year and now won't get to defend those points. And we'll talk that a bit later because we have two major players losing a lot from this whole like ranking points thing yeah so we um yeah we actually have some some quotes from a few players here um no i couldn't find much about what some of the leading ukrainian players said except uh sergey stajkovsky again who's retired but has been very vocal on this issue and working with players like svitolina and he was very much um against this decision um but basically, we had first Andre Rublev kind of speaking to this chaos in how tennis is governed. He described the relationship between the tour and the tournaments as, quote, toxic. Um, he said, Wimbledon, they break their agreement between the ATP. Um, I think it's more about to show the tournaments that they cannot do whatever they want. Tennis, in my opinion, is the only one sport that we need tournaments to work together and the tournaments need players to work together. He was also not optimistic that the decision from the ATP would be changed. So you can see that here he's really speaking to the fact that there is no clear governing body in the tennis world. Um, I wonder if like if we keep thinking like thinking about how the ATP and the WTA tours like is it time to merge them? Like what's the deal with that? It just really feels like we're lacking some sort of general authority that can clarify these decisions because. On the one hand, you had Steve Simon and the ATP talking to their respective player councils, but then you have Wimbledon over here doing its own thing. Then even after the decision decision is made, you have a lot of players not in favor of it, and suddenly there was this other alternative option that they were in favor of. So who really knows what's going on and who's making the decisions gets really blurred. Yeah, I guess the theme like of this year's uh, Grand Slams is miscommunication, considering all the Djokovic stuff in Australian Open. That was all also miscommunication, but of course a completely different situation. But um, something that just popped into my head, like since Rublev had an opinion and spoke out about this, is that if this really does happen, which it seems confirmed by now, where the ranking points will be taken away from Wimbledon, imagine like, the kind of resent other players might feel towards Russian players now and Belarusian players. Because it's kind of... It puts them in this kind of spotlight where they're the only ones that are not playing and because of that, they're losing all of their ranking points Mm. in this huge event. So Mm -hmm. it's just, like, 
just a lot of the big people talking and not really considering individual players again. And like Rublev said, I thought it was interesting that he thought um, what the ATP and WTA did was more of kind of a political stance of showing that tournaments can't do whatever they want without their permission mm-hmm. versus actually caring about their players. So mm-hmm. I think that's definitely an interesting stance and just something that makes sense at this point, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of, I think, unfair to those players who are like, did really well, and now they can't defend their points. And it's it's all, again, you know, on a political front. Uh, Denis Shapovalov, who made the semis last year, said, if you have a tennis tournament that's supposed to have the best athletes in the world, it shouldn't matter where you're from. Everybody should be competing. I think they could have gone with it a different way, maybe keep 50% of points like they have in the past or some kind of fairness. But even a guy like Fukshevich, who made the quarterfinals last year, um, is going to drop out of the top 100. Naomi Osaka said, The intention of this measure was good, but the execution is all over the place. I feel like if I play Wimbledon without points, it's more like an exhibition. I know this isn't true, right? But my brain just like my brain just feels that way. Whenever I think something is an exhibition, I just can't go at it 100%. She also said that she's leaning towards not playing, but hasn't finalized the decision. I understand this whole, like, lack of points being motivation thing because someone like her is in a position where she's looking to climb with the rankings and get back to the number one spot. So, kind of given the stage in her career, um, I feel like maybe someone in their later stage of their career wouldn't really care as much about that and maybe would want, like, the Grand Slam tally. I don't know. From speaking as in, from in the tennis sense, talking about Osaka, I think she should be playing. This She can't just keep skipping tournaments, I feel like, for these types of reasons. I feel like she needs to get more matches under her belt. Yeah, um, at a certain point, it's not necessarily I don't think this res- is a fair excuse. I really yeah, don't. I don't. I didn't like what she said either. I really did not like this comment. And we're Naomi Osaka fans, and this is just like, yeah, it's like, just girl, a. like, you need to play matches. I don't know what to tell you. Especially at the top level. Yeah. It's just like... Mm. Yeah. She just seems to be skipping out on these surfaces. Um, and this doesn't seem like a vibe. This is not, to me, an excuse to not play. Especially for someone like her. Um, but yeah. also... Yeah. The lack yeah. of like, ranking points is, is a big change that a lot of players aren't happy about. I Even Sloan... Like... St- Sorry, go ahead. No, no, you say. No, I was going to say that Sloan Stevens, on the other hand, was in favor of this decision that the WT and ATP made because she sort of felt like it was taking the right stance of um, making it clear that the tours do not support that kind of discrimination. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, Iga Sviatek... Oh, I was going to say something, but I honestly, I completely forgot... Oh, I was going to say that I feel like the tours... they're could be some kind of like compromise middle ground here where if they don't award ranking points this year at least to have it like this little spot of protected ranking you know what I mean so that if we move on to it next year under normal conditions then nobody kind of suffers from this I feel like that would make a lot of sense right I don't see how that would be complicated yeah um Wait, sorry, say that, <laughs> say that again? No, I need that, to re-register. Like a kind of compromise where for just this Wimbledon, they kind of make it a protected ranking system, you know? Like That's they're kind not of what Shapo was saying. 
Yeah. That's kind of what Shoppa was saying, I think, because they did that whole thing with COVID, like, when they freeze the rankings. Like, I just... Maybe I wonder if this is, like, their way of trying to get Wimbledon back on the table to negotiate some order, some other decision. I don't know. Yeah. it. it I agree with you. There. Like, this doesn't seem fair to players, like, who did well last year and now don't have a chance to defend those points and aren't going to plummet in the rankings. <laughs> Their team are finalists. Well, team, I mean, he no, wouldn't he's have doing played well, anyway. Yeah. He's he doing wouldn't it. have played anyway because he's injured. But seriously, someone like Fukshevic. Like, Martin Fukshevich does not deserve to be out of the top 100. Yeah. Does not deserve... It's crazy. Let's talk a little bit about what Iga Swiatek said. Um, She said, I'm okay with playing with and without points. Poland is supporting Ukraine. We are close. There is more going on than points. So I look at it more in that way. Fair. I I see what she's saying. I also just think that... We've said this a bajillion times. I do think sport has an important role in politics, so I do think it's important what decision they make and how they act. Um, She said, every solution is going to be wrong for some people, and there is not a right solution in that situation. All the Russian and Belarusian players are not responsible in what's going on in their country, but on the other hand, as I said, the sport has been used in politics, and we are kind of public personas, and we have some impact on people. So, I think she's kind of in the same dilemma, being like, you know, you can't discriminate players, but at the same time, this is an important political measure. Yeah, and I like that she was open to playing with or without points. I mean, it's not like she needs the points, but oh, yeah. um, <laughs> she's pretty solidified at the top there. But either way, I feel like it really proves how strong mentally you have to be. Because what you were saying about motivation, like, if you can keep yourself motivated in a tournament like this without ranking points, where... But I don't understand. It's kind of like, like, just play it like it's the Olympics, right? Like, there's still so much prestige to the tournament. It's just without the ranking points, right? I don't know. Like, yeah, the, the title agree. is still going to be there. Like, someone like Naomi Osaka, I, I just really, Osaka's comment just rubbed me the wrong way. It did. I agree. It kind of, it's like, she's not in the position to say that sort of thing right now. Someone like Fukshevich, I understand. Exactly. I'd be pissed. Naomi, like, she doesn't have any points to defend. Exactly. So, anyways, last thing. Yeah, she, did she skip French Open and Wimbledon last year? (laughs) Girl has not been on a tennis court, on a tennis court playing a match that often in the past couple of years. So, I don't know. Obviously, for valid reasons, for the most part, this, I don't personally think is a valid reason to skip. Like, you, she has been skipping so many of these clay and grass tournaments over the past few years, which I just don't think is sustainable. Like, you need to get your feet wet. Yeah, because also she's been saying all this about how she's, like, really playing for the love of the game now. But that's like, not what it looks like. Like, if looks this like. is for the results. Yeah, I, I just, I'm getting a little bit frustrated because, again, I, I get that. She's playing on her own terms and stuff, but she said she really wanted to take the clay season seriously this year, right? But then she started playing Madrid. She didn't play the Strasbourg 250, where she would have had chances to get her feet wet. She went right into Madrid, lost her second match there, and then didn't play any more matches until the French Open. Like, she has, like, you just have to play more matches, I feel like. Yeah. To, like, start getting back in there. Go yeah. in some 250s. Like, even who like, cares? You know how many players, like, when they're just getting back on tour play challengers like you don't have yeah. to 
you can't think that it's beneath you. Like, yeah, there's yeah. still good players, and it's just and, to get practice. And did you see her Instagram post today? No, what was it? Like, the caption, it was like, uh, well, this was fun. I'm leaving here with, like, happier than I was last or whatever. Like, I don't know. She said something. Let me, let me pull it up, actually. Because I remember when I read it, I was like, okay, like, Amanda like perfectly fine player to lose to but it's just like when are we going to start seeing naomi like back yeah like when like is that intensity there she said these past few weeks in europe have been a real character test but i'm glad i came overall just really happy this year i'm leaving with a completely different emotion than the previous one thank you paris also, I think there's a certain point where she has to be more transparent on social media. Like, obviously, she's been very good about that before. But in her comeback, I feel everything has been so, like, sunshine and smiles. And I, it might not actually be that way. And if it is, what she said about playing Wimbledon without ranking points completely contradicts everything. Because it's a, such a different mentality. Because if she is playing for the love of the game and just to play, yeah. this would not matter to her. It just, what she said threw everything off about, like, what she stands for and yeah. why she's really playing. Yeah. This whole thing devolved into a very totally different discussion, but back to the ranking points ban. Djokovic is going to drop 2,000 points. Which puts Daniil Medvedev in a really good position for world number one, which is hilarious because he's, he's not exactly the player who they were trying to ban from this tournament. And also, Roger Federer and Serena Williams will likely fall off the ranking. Which is crazy. Like, crazy. fall off. Not even, like... Yeah. Like, as if not exist. Yeah. That's... I don't even know. Like, you, you have to be, like, a homeless ghost to do that. Like, <laughs> That's a quote from a show, by the way. I didn't come up with that. Yeah. So, Alright, let's go to our second and last story. Yes. So, this is definitely... It's, I don't, is it bittersweet? No, it's just bitter right now. Uh, so, Joe Wilfred Sanga, you know, a legend of the sport, he retired today. And there was a little ceremony for him, of course, and so many people paid their respects just phenomenal player. So on April 6th, um, this former uh, fifth-ranked ATP player, uh, Joe Wilfred Sanga, he, affectionately known as Joe Willie, announced that he would be retiring after his matches at the French Open. And unfortunately, that time has come. So, yeah, like we mentioned, Joe had a very high career high. He was one of the best players in the world. But unfortunately, it was at the same time as that, like, Murray... Nadal, Djokovic, Federer era, so he never really got... The light was shown on him, just not as much as it could have, and of course he... He was in the mix of, like, the guys who could, like, really challenge them. Yeah, and he was... Unfortunately, his career was one that was plagued with injuries as well, but um, nonetheless, he played for 15 years, won 18 titles, two of those being Masters... He's a former Grand Slam finalist. He reached the 2008 Australian Open final as an unseeded player. And also, he's a doubles Olympic silver medalist. So, very cool. But he's one of those on-court players that just lights up the court and puts a smile on everyone's face. He's extremely charismatic. That's how mm-hmm. literally everyone described him in the ATP video. 
and um, he even has a signature victory dance. So he's very yes, cool. the little the little yeah. yeah I don't know how to describe yeah. it. It's <laughs> adorable. It, it is really adorable. I also want to note that um, even though these players like Del Potro, like Sanga, like we never Josefina and I never really got to really watch the peak of their career and their when they were really in it, it still makes us sad to see them go because it feels like really passing the baton and closing yeah you know the book and now we're kind of like in settled into a new era or settling in um i i think another thing to note is how you know he is a great role model for diversity in the sport felix um ozelia was discussing earlier how Songa was really one of his biggest idols because he was one of the very few players of color on tour and yes, there was Gail Monfils as well, but he just felt that he related more, like, playing style-wise, personality-wise to Sangha, and to have that role model was really big for him. Felix was and I there. I says a lot. He was watching the oh, match. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And I think that says a lot for what a player's, like, uh, a player like Sangha has done for the sport besides just his tournament resume. Um, so he did lose to Castor Rude today, six seven seven six six two seven six in the first round. But that is a really good fight that he put up there. Very good score Tough line. draw against Casper. Casper is has been doing well um, towards the latter ends of the pre French Open clay tournaments, and um, you know this is this is good that I think Songa was able to bring this level obviously over uh, in front of a home crowd. Yeah, and I. Oh my god. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Bless you. Thank you. I literally sent Shravi a text after the first set. I was like, no way. Is this actually going to happen? Because he'd won the first set. But um, yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> this is giving me uh, flashbacks. But Tsong was already crying as he served his last point. And um, after the match, he touched his head to the ground as he received a standing ovation from the home crowd. And... His quotes were just beautiful, honestly. He said, It's a great day for me, the day when I say goodbye to my longtime companion. I've never looked back, but now is the time to do it. And he said, I want to show resilience from a young age. I'm going to stay the person I am and stay active and do that as well as I can. I've had fabulous days and some that have not been so good. I'm a French player. I'm a Swiss player. I'm a Congolese player. I'm a black player, I'm a white player, and I'm now standing in front of you with my racket along with my best friends of 30 years. Thank you, Nora, his wife, for being alongside me. My family are now my priority. Thank you, Tennis. I love you. And his team and his family, wife and two kids, uh, and notable French players, Gaël Monfils, Richard Gasquet, and Gilles Simon, they came on court to pose with him after the match, all wearing Merci Joe uh, t-shirts. Where can I get one, by the way? Uh, I want one. Yeah. And honestly, it was a really tough last set because um, he suffered a shoulder injury. And he only won 11 of his last 12 points on tour, which is kind of sad that he had to end on this note, like on a painful note. But uh, here we are. We are in Paris. Um, they put together a really nice ceremony for him overall. They had a bit a video there where Murray, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, um, Monfils, uh, all of them had made some videos for him to thank him. 
Um, also, all of Songa's coaches and physios throughout his entire career um, were there on court as well. Um, Federer said, congrats Joe Willie on an epic career. It was a pleasure to share the court with you. So many great memories. Um, Nadal said, I know him since we were kids. I'm sad to see him go, but we're getting old, so it's going to happen to everyone. Don't say and, that, Rama. <laughs> Why would you say that? And Rude um, posted a picture of Joe as his match victory post today, um, which is really nice. And he said, mixed emotions after today's match. Happy I got to play you. Sad this was your last match. Merci, Joe. So now let's get into some quick tennis talk because, like we said, a lot goes on in the first few days of Grand Slams especially. So many matches in the first rounds. And we just finished the first round for women's, and I believe we're still in the process of the men's first round. But let's start with WTA anyways. So some standout matches here. We're done. They're both done. Oh, even better. Okay, so apparently they are both done. Um, just in, just in, both sides are done. Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, so the standout matches here include. Let's talk about the fir- top seeds. Iga Swiatek is through first seed. Paula Badosa third seed. Ma- Maria Sakkari fourth seed. All through very comfortably. Iga Swiatek had a blowout match defeating uh, Lesia Tsarenko six two six zero. She's now at twenty nine consecutive wins. And there's some crazy stat that the a- average amount of games she's lost per set during her win streak is two point four. And the last time someone took a set off of her was April 23rd. That is exactly a month ago. This Yikes. girl is on fire. This girl is... Okay. And the, only, and the person who did take that set off her actually lost in the first round. Samsonova. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then Paula Bedosa looking in great shape, especially after the kind of wily clay season she's had. We were definitely... Uh, hesitant about how her um, French Open success, but um, wow, she came through. She defeated a French wild card Fiona Farrow, six two six zero. Also, wow, them with the bagels. Maria Sakkari also took out French woman Clara Burrell in straight sets, and now that Ons Jabor is out, which we're going to talk about in a moment, she is looking to you know maybe make the quarterfinals here again, like she did last year. Danielle Collins, my queen, the number nine seed, also got through very comfortably in straight sets. So I'm excited to see how she does. And Jill Teichman, who we highlighted as a strong contender here for making a good run, had a great clay season in the in Madrid and then Rome, also defeated her opponent in the first round in very easy straight sets, 6-2-6-1. So she, especially with the three big upsets in this quarter, she has a nice chance to make it through here. So let's see how she does. Um, And then we have a few updates for our young favorites. Yes, so... Well. Well. (laughs) Okay, so let's start with uh, Camila Osorio. And I'm just mentioning her here because she is one of our faves. And she has the potential to go far now with Barbie Kay out of that section of her quarter. And she also defeated her opponent in straight sets. So she looks like she's in good shape. 
And then we have what everyone's raving about because, oh my god, she made it to the second round of Grand Slam. Uh, Emma Raducanu. Gee, Josephina is always <laughs> delivering the damn, not the shade. Emma Raducanu, guys. The 12th seed. Um, okay, she defeated a qualifier. Linda Nascova, 6-7-7-5-6-1. Tough scoreline. Don't know what this says about the rest of the tournament, but, um... <laughs> oh my god alright that aside um, notable upsets defending champion Barbie K who was coming back after an injury was defeated by French woman Diane Perry 166263 which is really tough Barbie K was actually like on, like genuinely speaking she was so emotional after her loss in her press conference she had to take a step out of the press conference cause she you know just wasn't feeling it and I felt really bad for her I felt I felt for her there because it's hard um I mean she's been out for a while she was on a roll last year um but you know it's 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 tough um because we know she can produce at that level because she shockingly did consistently last year even though we weren't expecting it at all but really sad to go out in the first round um it is though wholesome to see a hometown underdog do well um despite the uh, upset there but we also had one of our favorites Annette Contivate, the fifth seed who we were so excited to see if maybe she could pick up her form again and make a deep run at this grand slam lose in the first round to Isla Tomljanovic 7-6-7-5 great for Isla though I am happy for her and this was a great win for Tomljanovic but Annette actually had a really sad backstory um, explaining some of the health issues she's had recently and why her form has been off yeah, so she's uh, recently gotten COVID with quite severe symptoms from what we see, considering she's still being affected by them. And this was in early May, so pretty recent, actually. And she retired from the Madrid Open because of this. And what she said about it is, I just feel that since I'm the fifth ranked player in the world right now, I have no right to be sick. It's just it's hard in the sense that I believe I'm actually able to beat these players. But unfortunately, my health doesn't go along with my head and you'll see a very consistent theme here i think yeah this is exactly kind of similar to what we were saying about the nadal injury stuff last episode how athletes are glorified and expected to fight through pain and fight through when their body um is not well because it's kind of like stereotype threat it's like um or maybe not yeah yeah stereotype threat like my like i'm supposed to have a strong body i'm an athlete like i can't you know, what does it mean if, like, I don't, I don't have that for a moment? What does it mean if I'm human, essentially? Yes. She also said in her post-match press conference that she even had difficulty standing after her match for about an hour. Which yeah. is really tough to hear. Yeah. Um, and then another unfor- very unfortunate upset is Anjabor, the sixth seed, who was a top contender here. So this was a big deal. It was almost her big break moment after that 1,000 title when it comes to Grand Slams. And she lost to Magda Lynette in three sets. Just very heartbreaking. Really sad. I, we were so confident. A lot of people were really excited to see Jabour make a good run here. I'm not sure what happened, though. I'm really not. I really I really don't know. I mean, I, I heard that Lynette played well. It was 3-6, six, 7-6, seven, 7-5, six, seven, so very close. Um, I think Lynette was leaning actually 4-2 in the third set, and then Jabour managed to make a little bit of a comeback, but it wasn't enough. 
Um, and I don't know what happened. Maybe it was the pressure. Maybe it was just a bad day. I don't know, but it's unfortunate. And then we have former French Open champion Garbini Muguruza, the 10th seed, losing to Kaya Kanepi, 2-6-6-3-6-4. And this is unfortunately quite unsurprising because Garbini has not been having a great season. And we kind of expected this in our last episode because it's just not going well for him. Yeah, and I mean, Barbie K and Garbini Muguruza, they're connected by a spiritual tether. Let's just <laughs> Let's just put it out there. <laughs> so some exciting upcoming matches include an all-American one, Danielle Collins in the ninth seed versus Shelby Rogers. This is definitely going to be interesting. They are both very extravagant. No, what is it? Not flabbergasted. Extravoyant. Flamboyant. Ex- yep, that's the word. <laughs> I just said a bunch <laughs> of things that didn't make sense. But um, yes, very flamboyant players, especially Danielle. But um, they're good friends also, so should be interesting. And then we have Elsa Giacomo. <laughs> Sorry, okay. that was funny. <laughs> Versus Angie Kerber, the 21st seed. And I just think, like, I've seen um, Elsa, like, on the Instagrams before. She's a good junior player and kind of an upcoming Frenchie. She's very young. Versus playing a veteran of the sport, and of course with that home crowd, you know that always adds so much to every match. So and Kerber has been doing really well. Not only did she just take the title um, at the Stra- Strasbourg two fifty yeah, mm-hmm. um, before this, but um, she actually saved match points in her first round match at the French Open. She hasn't historically done well at the French Open. Um, someone pulled up a really interesting stat that at the Australian Open, and maybe it was. Uh, what year did she win? 2016? 20 2016 sounds right. Yeah. Um, it was either 16 or 17. It must have been 16. Um, she saved match points in her first round match there as well and then went on to win the title. So maybe we'll see a career Grand Slam incoming. I don't know. I would be really in favor of that. Um, we also have Bianca Andreescu versus Belinda Bencic in the next round. Um, and Bianca came through a three-set match as well. But that is, I think, going to be very interesting. But now, let's just talk about the ATP before we round out this episode. Some uh, standout first-round matches. Yeah, so let's talk about our top seeds first. Djokovic, Nadal, Alcaraz, Medvedev. I mean, straight said 6-2-6-2-6-2 win. He is the greatest of all time on clay. Let's not put it any other way. And <clears throat> all through, comfortably through to the second round. And um, Stefano Tsitsipas, the fourth seed, had a very interesting match against Lorenzo Musetti. And uh, Steph fought his way through a five-set battle against this very unpredictable, young, nice-looking Italian. 5-7, So, I feel like we've seen a lot of these sort of comeback wins from Steph. Um... Actually, not at last year's French Open. It was kind of the other way around. But, um, yeah, it's it's always tough to see top players when they have to go through five-set matches so early in the rounds because it really does take a toll as you pick up more sets throughout the tournament on you when it comes to the later rounds. So, otherwise, mm-hmm. he has a relatively open section if he can get through his next matches in a yeah. more concise 
efficient fashion. Yeah, this this felt like Lorenzo loves to lose matches while up two sets. I think he did that to Djokovic last year. Um, mm-hmm. And then Steph also loves to lose the first two sets and then end up winning. Like, he likes to extend these matches, um, and I don't know why. Um, we had Felix Ogelius team come back from two sets to Love Down versus a qualifier to ultimately win. He did scare us for a bit there. There, uh, Taylor Fritz, we were kind of worried about him coming into this tournament, but he also came through in five sets. Um, f- another favorite American, Sebastian Corda, also came through. Amila Rusevori played a tough five-setter versus Ugo Umbert, the home favorite, and won that. And f- another American, Francis Tiafo, won his first French Open match. Can you believe it? This was his first French Open singles win. I didn't know win. that. Um, in three tight sets, this is his seventh appearance at this tournament, and this was his first time I winning mean, a match here. I mean, he's not doing much worse than Medvedev, because Medvedev only won for the first time last year, and yes. he is number two in the world, so. Yes. And then we already m- mentioned uh, Rude before with the Joe match, but he's looking in very good form, which is good because he is one of, he's a big contender here, honestly. And so we also have some drama, of course, on the ATP side. So Andre Rublev defeated Sun Wukong 6-7-6-3-6-2-6-4. And there was some, uh, you know, some little tantrum stuff going on. So after losing the first set, he smacked a ball into his chair with his racket. Uh, and it, the ball ricocheted and almost hit a court sweeper. And we've definitely seen him have on-court anger issues before. A lot of it is more self-harm directed, which is definitely concerning. We've, we've talked about this before, like smacking his hand or head against the racket, screaming, etc. Just a lot of not great behavior. And then he said later in the press conference, I lost my mind for a moment. And of course, I'm regretful for what I did. And it's unacceptable to hit the... Bi- hello to hit the way the ball (laughs) hit (laughs) okay rublev's english is sometimes it's fine it's all good (laughs) i thought it was a me issue okay no no no. it's unacceptable to hit the way the ball (laughs) i'm sorry what it's unacceptable to hit the way the ball i hit (laughs) me i i don't think it's a typo because i copied and pasted it from the text like the, the his quote, I think he meant to say it's unacceptable to hit the ball the way I hit it. This is unprofessional from my side, and hopefully I will never do it again. I'm so sick of this. I, I really am. Did he get any violations? Probably. Like I I know that like most of his on court stuff, um, for the most part has been like self harm directed and not really. Which is not else. great either. Which is not great either, but like at least he's not like you know lashing out on other people. This was dangerous, so yeah, you know, <clears throat> a couple notable upsets. First, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, <laughs> we kind of had hopes for, is out in the first round, and then another upset that I literally could not be less surprised yeah, to see. I was so this. ready for this. Holger Rune defeat Denis Shapovalov in straight sets, and I don't think there's much more to say there. Yeah, well, Chapo, where where art thou? He um, just wants to really go back to producing stuff with Medvedev, so he's waiting <laughs> for Daniil to... Where's the drop? Yeah. Because he's dropping points more than he's dropping albums. <laughs> um, and then some exciting upcoming matches here, or match-ups, actually. Uh, Greenberg... 
that that quote really threw me off, man. Okay, Grigor Dimitrov, the 18th seed, versus Borna Korch. Chorich. Um, so the winner of this match could face Djokovic in the quarterfinals, which is interesting. And then we have a classic Scandinavian battle, Kaspar Ruud versus Emil Roussevori. We've seen, I feel like they played very recently. Or maybe it was at the U.S. Open. Whatever. I just know they played before. And just very interesting. A lot of roo-roo-roos. Roos. Um, and then Sebastian Corda versus Richard Gasquet. And the winner of that match might play Alcaraz, which is very interesting. I would love to see a Sebi Carlos match. We obviously know who's going to come out the winner there. And he's not a Spaniard. Thank you so much for joining us, and that is Game, Set, and Match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all the coverage of upcoming tennis and, of course, all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore tennis pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released as the French Open continues. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravia. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hold on to your racket until next time.